0: I've been away from you a long time I never thought I'd miss you so Somehow I feel your love was real Near you I long to be The birds are singing it is long time The banjo's drumming soft and low I know that you... Hello? Welcome back to the American Writers Podcast. In this episode, I will begin looking at Sinclair Lewis's Main Street. Um, It's a book I've been meaning to do for a long time. I actually picked this up, uh, used. uh, I think I may have bought it online uh, through the Amazon market. Last time I was in the United States. Um, Yeah, Dakota County Library in Minnesota was where it came from. Um, So it had that library smell. Uh, still sorta of does. And, and and fairly well read. A few of the yellow dots that you sometimes get on even these these, these books. But anyways, uh, this this volume has Main Street and Babbitt. I've been meaning to do it for a while. I did a really fun series, at least for me it was fun, on Sinclair Lewis where I looked at Aerosmith and and uh, what was it, Elmer Gantry, um, and and those types of works. This is earlier stuff, so it it's it's um it's, it's before he makes up that state uh, in, in Aerosmith, but it's set in the same area, it's set in the Midwest, uh, in, in Minnesota really, and it's, um, oh okay, anyways, uh, if you've been following my Civil War series, I'll get back to that in a little bit, I just sort of needed a break from doing that for, for a bit to get back to some, some novels. I've been reading so much literature lately, but my, my podcasts have been covering more uh, non-fiction type topics. Which is, is fine, but it's kind of time to get back to what I love a little bit. And uh, certainly early 20th century novels is um, something I love. It's kind of, I remember some of my earliest work on this podcast were things like that, like Frank Norris and Jack London. Anyways, Main Street. Um, I didn't take too many notes on the first 100 pages or so of Main Street. Um, so I think I'll just talk generally about, about this, this book and maybe I'll get more some details of the plot in future episodes. We'll probably look at, take, it'll probably take us about five episodes to get through this fairly lengthy, lengthy book. Um, but anyways, um, you know, both Babbitt and Main Street are about conventionality and kind of banality and, and bourgeois, uh, kind of limitations. It's kind of just about, yeah. It's kind of like this this what Tocqueville talked about, right? The, how you end up with this middling expectations for existence in in democracies. It's like when you have democracies, you don't you don't want to have people to go too high or too low, so you end up with this kind of banal min, middleness, right? And this creates a lot of conventionality. We talked about this when we looked at Tocqueville. Uh, Quite a while ago, and I I think this book kind of is very Tocquevillian in that sense you really do get that feeling that everyone is sort of stuck in the mundane and in consumer society and And all that Um, Another context for this book it seems to me is that kind of culture divide that was becoming That's very still very much with Americans, but I think it really was coming to the forefront in the 20s, although it has its older roots, right? If you look at like even the Hamiltonian Jeffersonian tensions, so it's kind of a rural-urban kind of thing, industrial versus agrarian, agrarianism, yeoman farmer versus factory or industrialist. So you had those conflicts, and but I think in the 20s it really becomes clear where you sort of have the uh, an America of two worlds, right? And you see growing culture wars, whether it's the populists. Or uh, uh, kind of a more I mean you got the Klan too which is kind of a middle America thing it wasn't like a New York LA kind of thing it was much more a middle America north and south but it, it, it also kind of saw urban areas immigrant cultures as something they opposed the populace I guess are a more positive generally uh, movement that had that same kind of questioning of this the power of the cities. Um, you have like novels of F. F. Scott Fitzgerald, which are really centered in the, in the cities. Even Jack Lendon's, I think, is set in the periphery and the cities, uh, the outer periphery, but, uh, but as far as it's in America, it's often set in cities. Then you have like the rural literature, um, yeah, like uh, Willa Cather or someone like that. And Sinclair Lewis is writing kind of about, maybe these in some ways are a middle ground between these things, kind of the Midwest small town. But um, it, this is more like the flyover country kind of narrative, right? So he's on that side, I guess, looking at the, you know, even though he looks at it in different ways than maybe Will Cather does from, different, from a different lens, but he's still in that broad middle America, right? Where it's where people do kind of live. I don't want to say sheltered lives because they they are connected to broader things. They know how to read. They're educated. They're um, engaged in the world to a certain degree. They're not stupid. They're edu- You know, we, they have doctors and lawyers and things like that. It's just their ambitions are sort of muted by by the small town, right? And so the beginning, of the the novel sort of begins with a joke, right? So it's it's kind of a, or a prelude or a preface to the book, and he makes a claim here which i would i think is partially in jest that the city is the quote climax of civilization uh, well main street the small town the small midwestern town is the climax of civilization quote that this ford car might stand in front of the bone town store hannibal invaded rome and then erasmus wrote in oxford cloisters what old jensen the grocer says to ezra Stowbody, the banker is the new law for london prague and the unprofitable isles of the sea Whatsoever Ezra does not know and sanction, that thing is heresy, worthless for knowing, and wicked to consider. Our railroad station is the final aspiration of architecture. Sam Clark's annual hardware turnover is the envy of four counties which constitute God's country. In the sensitive art of the Rosebug movie house there is a message and humor strictly moral, such as our comfortable tradition and sure faith. Would he not betray himself an Aryan cynic alien cynic who should otherwise portray Main Street or distressed the citizens by speculating whether they may not be other fates. Um, so, what's he saying here? Um, I don't know, I guess it's open to some interpretation, but it seems to me he's saying, I mean, on the one hand, take like a Woolworth or something, some, you know, or today at Walmart, all right? We may find it banal. We may find it rather really middle. I mean, how much more middle can you get, right, than that? That's even like lower, like a little bit more vulgar but it's 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 not a it's not high culture it's not something when you're reading like ancient civilization textbooks you know about the great civilizations it's not walmart it's not what's on your mind when you think about that but compare walmart to like the champagne fairs or compare it to any kind of ancient world marketplace or or something even in like soong kong Sung china compared to a marketplace then walmart wins walmart i mean it's it's pretty damn impressive if you look at what it's achieving in bringing goods from all over the world uh, you know, it's massive. And if we were, when we look back we say, oh look, the champagne Fairs were you know this wonderful transformation of civilization, early capitalism, whatever, but they were minuscule compared to even what this Main street seemed to offer. I think that's partially what he's saying is in a way it is a climax of where our civilization was going. It just goes. To the middle it's like I'm, a, I'm thinking of like a you know that tendency towards the mean idea right it's like greatness tends towards that mean and that mean is mediocrity and just kind of banality right and it, even though it's kind of kind of great in in that um, you know or a radio station in a small town you know um, what's this one the Ford like transportation the cars the roads the infrastructure All that stuff would have impressed the Romans uh, greatly but when we think of the Romans we think of Cicero and we think of uh, the Aeneid or Plutarch or you know we might think of the generals and their wars and their conquests and all that kind of stuff when we think of America we think of like uh, the stupid little main street with a, a theater and a general store and a bunch of Ford cars driving around but you know, that's where our civilization ended up, for better or for worse. And it's, you know, there's, there's something to be impressed about this, right? I think, I think, like, for most of human history, most people couldn't read. But in Main Street, everyone could read. You know, everyone got that basic education. So there is some progress here. It's not totally meant to be mocked, I think. And it's not, uh, it's not saying like the democratic mission is a failure or anything. I think it's saying, isn't it a pity we, we can't have both or we seem to not have both. There's a, there's a frustration and Sinclair has a lot of fun sort of mocking this, but it's, I think there's some regret there that maybe there can't, could not be more. You see what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know if I'm clear, but this is what I think about when I read this, and especially this introduction. Um, agriculture, all the agricultural technologies, lead to Main Street, lead to these rural communities producing miles and miles of wheat and corn, um, mass-produced dairies, lead going, you know, producing milk. My, my, actually, this my part of my family's origin was Midwest dairy farming, and my grandpa had a farm, and he sold milk to the local cheese factory and that that milk in a few few days or whatever would be on the shelves of local stores um or i don't know i think it was kind of uh, industrial cheese for whatever mass produced food it it would be but you get my idea right it was um really pretty impressive uh if you think about it but when you when you look at it from our point of view it just seems so banal keep throwing that word around it's kind of what this book's about so um so let's so i'm just going to talk about the first six chapters or so and like i said i didn't really take too much too much in the way of notes i did margin notes more this time but um we start very briefly with the changing frontier which reminds me of like will Cather often did the same kind of thing you know this like the indians are gone it's been replaced with skyscrapers in the in main street the fur traders are gone their shadows might be there but it's being it's being replaced with uh these small towns there's a little college and we meet our main character carol milford who ends up marrying and she goes she's her name is um carol Kennicott from that point but uh now she's carol milford and she's an interesting character she's easy to sympathize with i think she's we're going to be with her for 500 pages so it's it's good that she's relatively likable she's um she's got some beauty she's kind of above the average in terms of intelligence and certainly ambition um she she wants something out of her life she's not like the typical female college student as described in this book someone who's just interested in getting a degree uh maybe working for a few years and getting married right you know only spinsters become like full-time school teachers really college is just to kind of spin your wheels until you get married and and she's not that way carol kennicott or carol milford wants something more out of her life she's thinks there's something more to it so she's she's a bit of a disney princess in that sense uh but and, and, but she's contrasted with these other single girls that, that are surrounding her in her life that, that do seem to want a little bit less. Um, and she tries to be, she tries to make the most of being in this small Midwestern college town city. She like associates with, she takes sociology courses. She, um, she interacts with, with socialists and, and, and kind of bohemians. And she reads about New York City. She she studies that stuff. She, she she buys into that. So again, she's this typical college student who comes in relatively blank slate, absorbs new ideas, gets excited by them, and is transformed by them for better or for worse. Right, whatever the case may be. Uh, often, you know, you know, it depends on your political perspective what you think about that. But you know, it's often a criticism of college is that kids get sort of quote unquote brainwashed by like leftism, even though most college professors are fairly right wing. Uh, it's like the humanities professors get picked on this for this because they're teaching critical thinking, right? Um, but there's there's like an arrogance that comes with it, right? That's part of what she gets, and that's true. It's it's maybe inevitable when people you know learn stuff that maybe their parents. So if you come from a world like I came from, where your parents didn't go to college or, or didn't graduate college, and Every, all the adults you interact with are like factory workers or farmers and, you know, they drink and they go to the bowling league and they play softball and stuff like that. But it's, and they're interesting people, but, but that's the world you're in, right? You're the adults or you're adults. Maybe the most educated person in your life is like your minister or something. Then you go to college and you're like, oh, my minister's been lying to me. Actually, there is no God. And you know, Oh, and then you, after a couple of years in college, you go back to Thanksgiving dinner, and you can't talk to anyone anymore. And you have to kind of relearn the values of that culture. You start to maybe question it and think, "Geez, that small town really sucked. The people there were really backward. No wonder they all vote for Trump, or you know whatever you might think." And that, and and you have to, as you mature, because you're still a relatively immature person. You're still fairly impressionable. You're still. And, and you have like a bit of arrogance because now you have a little education under your, under your belt. You come out of that and it takes you a few years to then kind of go back and say, well, now I can appreciate religion a little bit more. I may have turned my back on it. I'm still an atheist, but they weren't idiots for believing this. Or you think, oh, I see the value of the, that softball game or something. You, you actually mature as you find the value in that. You know what I'm saying? At least that's kind of my... That's one reason I like Main Street is I feel my experience in it a lot because although I wasn't this go-hung, let's reform Main Street kind of a person, I was someone who found it harder and harder to interact with the world that I came out of. Um, and I often said things that I regret now because I, you know, I came off sounding pompous and arrogant after getting some education, which I'm certainly proud of and happy I got. But you know how I use that in my younger years is is not something that I'm 100% proud of, I guess. So that, that's what I'm trying to say here. And you see that in Carol Milford uh, in, in her college, but she definitely has more ambition than her classmates. Um, and one of her early ambitions repeated many times throughout the book is is kind of let's reform main street you know now carol's own family was kind of bougie kind of middle class um believed in kind of a more modern pedagogy so it wasn't like a working class background so her experience is a little bit different than what i'm describing for me she's someone who kind of marries into the into the main street she marries into the small midwestern town she was from more elitist background a little more upper class background but still i think the point's the same it's this culture culture conflict between the educated relatively sophisticated people and and the main working class of the country so she she starts to go out in the world after graduating she ends up working like in a library for a while she kind of digs that work but she always has in the back of her head this dream of sort of bringing civilization if it will to the barbarians um which is sometimes how she sees the people of the midwest that working class of the midwest and you know she's pretty and educated and and people start to pay attention to her as a romantic partner and she she does some dating and things like that and eventually she meets dr will Kennicott, and that's the person who is going to kind of um, um convince her to marry her now I want to talk about Will Kennecott. I don't know how much of this is Sinclair's point of view on this, but reading some of the scenes, it's a little bit cringy. I, I you, you get the sense—at least I'm getting the sense—reading their interactions early on, that he picked up that she's she has some interest in the kind of reform. Right, so this is kind of, of the progressive era, right? Let's let's reform things. Let's make things better. And and Kennicott, who has the hots for her, and wants to marry her, and he's a little bit older, right, and a little more grounded in the world. She she's not a child though, so it's not like a grooming situation. I'm not trying to say, but he does sort of sell her a bill of goods. So that's that, I mean, you know, not that there's anything too too nefarious here. It's just it's a little bit, uh. It's like, it's like he's kind of psychologically manipulating her a little bit saying you know saying oh you know the small town i live in you know needs someone like you and we could come back there and we could really make it something we could make gopher prairie that's the name of the place it's a what a what a banal <laughs> name for a town i mean gopher prairie it's such a wonderfully chosen name for us for a city um now i've heard that this is like this is A real place, like this is based on a real place and people figured out right away, which is why he created fictional, uh, a fictional state and things later in his uh, writing. So if you look it up, it it was actually based on Saw Center in uh, Minnesota, which still its population in 2010 was 4,317. So it's kind of like a suburb or a a satellite city of St. Cloud. So this is the setting. You can actually see Main Street. A picture of Main Street in the in the Wikipedia article for this town. Um, so it's not Saint Paul. I mean, that's a, that's partially that's made clear. She was working in Saint Paul in a library. So not a not an insignificant job, right? She's uh, out of college, a librarian in the city of Saint Paul. There's upward mobility there, but Will Kennicott of Grover Prairie. That name gets me every time. Uh, just because that sounds so—it's so much on point. I mean, gopher is a pretty mundane, boring, everyday animal. It's like it's a pest, right, in your yard. And prairie—it's just like the general name for the whole e- ecological region. Um, super white. Look at this. Uh, saw, saw Center, Sock Center is ninety-five point six percent white. 0.8% percent African American, that's now. So super super white. Uh the Wikipedia entry mentions the churches. <laughs> um, it's got uh, eight notable people, one of whom is Sinclair Lewis. An NFL coach. I've never been there. I'm sure it's perfectly nice. But I find Gopher Prairie is just a funny name to me. Uh, but anyways, my, back to my point about Will Kenneka. Will Kenneka like, hey, I'm from Gro- Grover Prairie. It's really chill. It's There's a lot of potential here. It's changing. We have educated people there now. And, and we just need someone to help bring it into the 20th century. And you're the one who's going to do it. And I'm going to help you. And we're going to be this hot couple. We're going to be the hot thing in Grover Prairie. Come on. Come aboard for the adventure. And she's like... Yeah. and then he's like you know I, I you're you know i'm actually in love with you and she's like okay i guess i love you too and then they, they go get married that's it that's it I, w- I wish there was more courtship here uh i wish we saw this i wish there was more done with this relationship because it's it's kind of rushed and and maybe this is all just part of her f- own falling into banality she had these ambitions. And they're quickly discarded because you know, he's a doctor. <laughs> and he may live in Gopher Prairie. But it's you know, maybe she can start a, a book club. Or something like that. So then, uh, that's like chapters 1 and 2. And then in chapter 3 we see them going to Gopher Prairie on the train and it's it's also kind of a humorous scene i think where they go to these different towns and he's like telling the history and each town is like the same it's they're they're small and boring and not much And they're just train stops with little main streets next to them and he, he knows all the history though Kennicott's kind of a doctor so he travels around a little bit makes the house calls so he knows people and he says hey this town it's owned half of it's owned by this good dude uh ross shuckle uh, and this other town you know this is coming along there's nice people living here it's uh she he kind of gets a tour of the region between uh, St. Paul and Gopher Prairie you know so it's it's a short train trip but you get you get you get a look at the at the, at the at the countryside and that's a that's a fun little chapter um, where we kind of see her she become progressively white and <laughs> she's like oh god this gopher for is pur- not going to be like this, is it? It's like, uh, don't worry, it'll be fine. And then she sees the next town and he's like, this is a nice town. And she's like, you no, know, uh, what I'm in for, right? It's it's like, uh, it's a, it's kind of a, f- a funny experience. It could be kind of a comedy. In, in a comedy, it would work because, you know, you might think like sometimes you're driving around and you get to like those weird places that are kind of creepy that's not the case here these aren't creepy they're just boring it's just flat and banal uh, and that's what we get so um, good stuff really good stuff in that that, that scene that uh, that whole bit and eventually they make it to um, to uh, go for prairie and meet some of the locals and and it's a small town so Kennecott's able to introduce everyone to her that they run into and they're all, they're all super nice folk. It's like there's nothing bad about any of these people. It's just, they're, this is the clay she's imagining working with to create like a civilization, and it's all pretty uh, disappointing for her. Poor Carol Kennicott, but she's also c- comes at it kind of arrogantly, and I think some a lot of the book is her learning that her her perspective is kind of based on an arrogance and cultural superiority of of the urban and educated over the small town which is why i don't think you you gotta look at this novel kind of in a complex way it's not making fun of main street it's it's a love letter to main street in a way and it's and there's a lot of beauty there in the street and in the people and in their conventionality yeah, You know the song I picked for this uh, episode, the series, is I just looked up what's the most popular, what was the most popular song in 1920 that this was published. And that was the one, an Al Jolson song. So, it's a nice song, right? It may be popular. It may be what everyone likes. It doesn't mean it's bad, right? It's, um, you know, it's like Marvel movies, right? They're not the greatest thing ever, but they're good and people like them and you know, if you if you spend your life railing against it because it's not, it's not Kubrick, you're kind of missing the point, I think uh, that's. There's a lot of ways I could go with that talking of some current debates and pop culture and all that stuff going on. But let's try to stick to this book. I don't know how much more I want to say. Uh, the first few chapters, the first next or the next three chapters, are pretty long, but they're basically her getting to know gopher prairie and it's people and their ideas and the limitations to her 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 ambitions and she never up to this point at least never quite give up on her hope of, of sort of reforming main street and making it a culture center but her maybe her ambitions are a bit tamed and she thinks well maybe i can start like a you know, like a ladies club or something and she gets a little bit more practical with it but you often find her frustration at who she who she meets and what she has to work with um, but they're all nice folk there's like nothing wrong with any of the people really. it's not um, even like you, you got the one guy who's she's asking what do you think about socialism and he's like and unions he's like damn no unions why well, can't workers just negotiate one-on-one with me because he was like a boss of some sort complaining about the socialists and and here's the conversation he says no, ma'am. Thank God we've been free from that, except maybe with hired girls and farm hands. Trouble enough with these foreign farmers. If you don't want to, if you don't watch these Swedes, they turn socialist or populist or some fool thing on you in a minute. Of course, if they have loans, you can make them listen to reason. But I have them come to the bank for a talk and tell them a few things. I don't mind their being Democrats so much, but I won't stand having socialists around. But thank God we ain't got any labor trouble they have in those cities. End quote. So. That's another part of the mundanity mundacy of Main Street. It's like not even politically interesting. It's just they're like Republicans. Yeah, yeah, and Democrats are okay too. It's like as long as you're in that two party system and you know, everyone who gets elected is basically a Republican. Maybe you let a Democrat in once in a while. It's it's fine. It's just fine. Everyone seems fairly content by it. Um, so we get like, like one conversation about labor politics, other conversations about, uh, um, I don't say it comes up a couple times. So it's in the backdrop of the story, populism and socialism, but it's just like Main Street is presented as sort of this bubble where this stuff doesn't really penetrate. A lot on religion, right? And again, the religion is also very mundane she talks about being a universalist and then they're like hmm that's interesting we're all good methodists here congregationalists something like that it's uh, it's like i'm thinking of a quote from a Stephen king story where he's talking about one of these main islands and it's like you could be a methodist or a lax methodist those are the religions that were available for you on the island and that's that's another thing you sort of feel with main street um it's again it's it's there's something sweet about it. There's music. There's there's culture. There's um, a newspaper. People know each other. It's there's worse places to live than Main Street. But Carol's pretty frustrated because she wants to be the reformer. And the question is, and this is something to explore as we go deeper into the novel, is is does she have the right to do this? Is she going to make anything better? And and is. She, is really this what reform was about i mean is this is this some kind of uh, perverted weird pop uh progressivism right like when you think of the progressive movements, like oh there's social problems in the cities there's prostitution there is poverty there's political corruption alcoholism right we're going to fix that we're going to go through these reform movements we're going to pass new laws we're going to create new state agencies we're going to clean up the factories we're gonna make sure there isn't rat shit in your meat. We're gonna make sure everything is is safe. We're gonna make sure we're gonna we're gonna get uh working conditions a little bit improved. We're gonna let that child labor, you know. Ban alcohol eventually. This is in the prohibition era, of course. We're gonna clean things up and solve those social problems, right? We're gonna to listen to science. That's not really what Carol Kennicott's doing. She might think in a diluted way that's what she's doing, but she's just, she's like the guy. And I'm not thinking myself here. She's like the guy who goes to like the. Goes to his friend's house and they're playing like, Elden Ring or something, vi- video games. or Maybe playing a board game or playing Madden twenty twenty one or something on the on the Xbox. And says so like, "Oh, we should be listening to to." Mozart while we play this we can all wouldn't that be great think of how wonderful that would be it would, it would uplift the quality of our group it's like it's a little annoying when people try to do that and but when you went through that experience here's why I want to defend Carol kind of got a little bit maybe I'm going back and forth on this but would you go through the experience you go to college especially if you experience it like at least I did everything is awesome It really is. Like the social life's awesome. The beer's awesome. The books are awesome. Like my favorite day in college was going buying the books. Because it's like, oh, I got to read this stuff. It It was like Christmas. And you got this big pile of books. You started going through them and you're like, oh gosh, there's like so much there. And what's awesome about it is you don't, you didn't know it before. It's not now when you're like 40 or over 40 like me. And... And it's hard to get excited about books. I read a lot of books. And I talk about them all the time. But you don't, I can tell you it's different. It's, it's like, it's like, what's it called? Chasing the dragon or whatever, like for heroin users. It's like, they're always trying for that first high again, right? Or that first drunk, or you always want to go back to that, that experience. That first, every maybe like, you know, the first love you have. You want, you want that feeling again, because it's awesome. And that's kind of what it's like in college Uh, at least it was for me and you can't imagine anyone wouldn't want to have that and you see people are like just like happy listening to their their al jolson records and driving their ford down main street and shopping at the woolsworth you're like how could that be what you're content with in life no it's like no we need something greater we need something better and so what did you propose well this is what excited me. I, I learned about Wagner in in college. And that that was really hot. So I'm going to play that Thanksgiving to my bored parents. It's, it doesn't work. And it's kind of insulting in a way. But you understand where it's coming from, I think. At least I understand where it's coming from. It's like, how, how can you believe that religious stuff, Mom? How can you still believe in Jesus? It's clearly nonsense. I learned it in college. And then everyone regrets you sending you there because you can become kind of a douche and it becomes sort of disconnected from your roots a little bit all right see what i'm saying I, i'm kind of re- keep repeating this theme again and again but i think it's so much at the heart of what's going on here um because really honestly there's not much wrong with main street it's you could there's a lot worse places one could live than this main street and for the most part Maybe a little reactionary on some issues, but basically nice people. And they're really welcoming to Carol. They put her in the goddamn newspaper a couple of times. She has a house party kind of thing. And they even have a great article saying, oh, this is going to bring some kind of new culture to go for prairie. She's really proud of this. And. And. And my point is, they're really welcoming to her and then. And you already start to see tensions by this point in the story between husband and, and wife. Where the husband's like, yeah, I said we could sort of reform this place, but let's be real. It's like, it's Gopher Prairie. It's like, you're not going to make it New York City. I do how hard you try, nor should you. Nor should you. Um, and he kind of says, "This you've got to respect this place. Because it's, it's not fair to judge it by some, some unattainable standards you live here now you married me you're you're stuck here now and you know so I'm really of mixed feelings about Carol Kennicott um to be honest and I and I can see it from different points of view but that's one thing I really like about this novel and one thing I really sort of dig about it um cultural emptiness yes but But big deal. I mean, really, what's what's wrong with being culturally empty? you your life. You know, not everyone has to read books. I like reading books, and 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 maybe I've even complained from time to time that not enough people read books. But not everyone has to read books. There are other ways one can get happiness in life. You're only around this planet a few times, so make the most of it, and don't judge other people too harshly. Just do what you want with your life. Maybe that's maybe that's the theme of it. And maybe maybe I'm reading Sinclair Long Maybe maybe Sinclair, you're you're supposed to read this that the Midwest sort of sucks. But it's um. And I know we get to hypocrisy. I know hypocrisies appear in Gopher Prairie. But I'm I'm not so much interested in those at this point. I'm interested more in in these the early impressions and in Kerel in Kenicott's psychology so I think that's a good run for for one person to talk about just 100 pages of Main Street Um, so next episode I guess it'll be chapters 7 through 15 um, which is another 100 pages or so so a bunch of short chapters Um, maybe through chapter 14 Um, like I said about 5 episodes on this this book but I'm having fun I like it, it's nice to be back to a novel so uh, I'll probably spend most of my free time tomorrow um, listening to the rest of it. I'm also reading Stephen King's Insomnia, which is a long one, but that one a bit drags a little bit. So it's um, I'm gonna take a break from that and, and jump into the middle some of the middle sections of Mainstream. Looking forward to it. I'll have more to say about the book uh, in the next episode. Um, but for now, I'll see you. Let me know what you thought of this book. And give me your thoughts. Send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or you can find me at Twitter. It's at EvanLampe1. Uh, it's E-V-A-N-L-A-M-P-E-1. And uh, follow me and uh, send me um, messages. Tell me what you think of all this. Okay, that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Waiting for me, praying for me down by the Susani, the folks up north will see me no more when I go to that Suani shore. Suani, Suani, I am coming back to Suani. Mammy, Mammy, I love you.